0: I remember once being told there's like 185 things you can do wrong in every stroke. And the more I rode, I realized, of course, that's not true. There's way more. (laughs) um...
1: (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets.
2: Today's guest is Marnie McBean. Marnie McBean is a rowing champion and one of Canada's most decorated Olympians. She competed in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona and 1996 in Atlanta, and brought home three gold medals and one bronze from those two games. A back injury forced her to withdraw from competition at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. After her rowing career, Marnie continued in the sport as a mentor, and she is the chef de mission for the upcoming 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo. Marnie reminded me a lot of my favorite comedian, Teg Notaro. She's so comfortable in her own skin, confident and fun. We only know her from this conversation, but I feel like she wouldn't love me listing her awards and medals, but I'm going to, because she's awesome. <laughs> she was inducted into the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame in 94 and Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 97. She is a recipient of the Governor General's Meritorious Service Medal, appointed an officer of the Order of Canada, and has been given the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. In 2002, she was presented the Thomas Keller Medal by World Rowing. Marnie earned her degree in kinesiology from the University of Western Ontario and has been given three honorary doctorates. She is a public speaker and wrote a book titled The Power of More. She currently resides in Toronto with her wife, Dina, and five-year-old daughter, Isabel.
1: Marnie has inspired so many people. She's been involved in nine Olympics, and this will be her 10th in Tokyo. She is a powerhouse. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Hello. Good morning.
3: How are you?
2: <laughs> Good. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> Great, thank you.
2: First of all, I like the artwork behind you, and secondly, is that a, is that a mask organization system I see there? It is. I like it. it. The things like, we never thought we we'd have to uh, put in our house, <laughs> and, eh?
0: And we have we have big, medium, and small in the house, right? So I'm I'm five ten. My wife is five five, and Izzy is five. So we have different heights. So mine are at the top. <laughs> and then Smart. Those are Dina's and and Izzy's go there.
2: You guys have a nice, colorful collection there. I
0: like it. So, yeah, I went into a little phase where I was making them, and then my mother-in-law was making them, and mm-hmm. then we just started buying lots and lots and lots of them. So think...
1: early pandemic coping was, let's make some masks. Right? Let's see if we can have some meaning and purpose by doing something.
0: Right. And, and you know, <laughs> your kids grow through the clothes so quickly, and- uh, you know, you like those things and there's favorite shirts in there. And so we turned favorite shirts that like, I made some star Wars masks and, you know, put the bunny on the face and stuff like that. So
2: awesome. You're creative with a sewing machine. I like it.
0: Yeah. It, I took it back. It's my mom's. I borrowed it and, you know, it's that thing your parents never use. And then they take it back, you you borrow it. And they're like, when are you gonna get the thing back to me? I'm like, you haven't used it for 20 years. Um, but you know, I'll get it back to you tomorrow, I guess. But. <laughs> I have my mom's mountain bike in our garage. And
2: I also don't have plans to return it. So.
0: <laughs> right. And And she probably never used it but now wants it back all the
2: time. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what she says after she hears this conversation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, wait, I forgot you had that bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: just a look-alike. It's a look-alike. It's not the, really the same bike, mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for hopping on
2: this call with us. Did you know that you are the fourth of four Chef de Missions for Tokyo and Beijing that we now get to talk to? All four of you. Well, I did
0: see that was a theme going along. I don't know if it pressured me into saying that, yes, or I just, uh, you're just that charming. <laughs> it's yeah. such
1: a great role. It's such a great group that you've been a part of that you get to go, but this is chef during a pandemic year. How What's that been like?
0: I love it if it was easier. I've been watching chefs for a long time, right? So I started working with the COC and doing mentor work back in 2006. So there's got to be a point where I had that position within the COC that when a chef was an, a nominated and and well, they're more selected than nominated, but when a, the chef was selected, they'd come to me and going, Marnie, what am I supposed to do here? And so then I'd, you know, give them a little lay of land and then they'd figure out their own path. Chefs always figure out their own path. And I was kind of, I've, I've watched chefs and they always have an issue. Like there's always something that comes up. I watched Kurt with the the Rio games and it was mm-hmm. like Zika. And I was like, oh, that's, that's a big one. And- Zika and the
1: game's almost not going. <laughs> ah, yeah. That was pretty big.
0: Right. You know, there's been a lot of- games that have looked very unorganized like most games like the the games in athens Mm -hmm. they were still putting in sod athletes had moved in and it wasn't until midway through the games that they, they actually put the grass into the Olympic village. So I was like going, I can't believe I got the Japanese games. Like what, like, this is the best because they're so organized (laughs) and the, you know, the volunteers are going to be amazing. The Mm -hmm. language is going to be amazing because so many Japanese people are just so much smarter than us. And they, they, their, their English and language skills are amazing. It's going to be like the the food is going to be great. Like the, the venues are spectacular, like everything. I was like, this, this is great. My big issues. I can't believe my big issues are, it's going to be really, really hot. Right. Uh, and yeah. that, that remains the issue. It's going to be really, really hot <laughs> and humid. And we were having a really tough time getting tickets for friends and family. Like these were my big issues, like a year and a half ago. You know, I looked at it and I'm, I'm like, I, I think I was sort of built for these games. I've seen a lot of different things and I have seen a lot of. Yeah. Chaos. And I think I came into the role and I really wanted to establish communication with the athletes. And I used to do it when I was a director of mentoring and athlete services at the games, I I used to send out a, a monthly email to the athletes, just on a, a mentoring side, and, and when I was given this position, I was like, I really want to do this, and that sort of communication didn't exist with this current group of athletes, and we didn't even know how to make it exist, but we we're like, should it be a podcast like this? Should it be visual? how do athletes now consume information? Like, mm-hmm. do they ever check emails? And I was like, you know what? I believe athletes do check emails. They're just not, you know, sitting on them trying to hatch them daily,
3: yeah.
0: but they, they do check emails. And so I really pushed to establish communication with the team. Awesome. Way back in, in July 1st of 2019. And I think that has held up really well for helping to build community mm-hmm. and give athletes a sense of they're still belonging to something. And that something is still real. And I, it is really different, but I had a games taken away from me. My my Sydney games, I was yeah. all prepped and ready. And then an injury just stopped that. So I know what it's like to feel you're having everything taken away from mm-hmm. you. Like that's just... You were robbed. Yeah, you are. But at the same time, I remember at that time, there was nothing I could do about it. Right? Like yeah. I, I couldn't sit. And as a rower, that's a pretty important yeah. thing. Pretty crucial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I... I have not been through a pandemic. I've not been through a one-year extension. Yeah. But I've had a career long enough to remember that if you told me I had to go one year more, yeah. how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. And I've been right on the cusp of things where, in my first Olympics, <laughs> was wrestling with a teammate and and heard my knee pop oh, no. uh, in January of 1992. Oh. So I remember thinking I'd just wrecked everything. Yeah. And it turns out rowers don't need a medial collateral ligament. Oh, good to know. <laughs> we don't go side to side. So why would you need that? Right. So I could still train. Like I would walk to the boat with crutches because I I had no lateral support. Mm. Um, but once I got in the boat, we, we really just drive straight on and, you know, unless it was really wavy that that could affect me, but we really do (laughs) ought to row in really wavy conditions. I've had moments where it was like all gone, all Mm -hmm. all gone but i haven't had 365 days of those moments right and and so everything the athletes are going through is unique to them and Mm -hmm. and i also have spent enough time realizing that every sport culture is different and every path is different so you know whatever i can share as experience that's not going to be their experience it's just going to be uh uh, these emotions you're feeling are real and they're normal and and my favorite my favorite you know sharing is that fear and doubt is normal and yeah. the goal of a mentor and the goal of you know the chef isn't to tell you not to feel fear and doubt it's mm-hmm. is to tell you to be like no that's okay right just try and turn the volume down on it Yeah, beautiful. and try and try and turn the volume up on focusing on technique because yeah. you guys know this there's nothing makes us feel more comfortable than we when we're like doing doing something yeah. right like even i don't know even this conversation you're like what are we going to talk about before this conversation and then it happens and you just talk yeah. right and it's all good
1: we get into flow follow where it goes yep. so you marnie have been uniquely gifted for this time in in this world to be lucky the Michonne, yeah during this time so we're very glad to have you, and it's, uh, it's going to be an epic one to remember. Yeah. And as we're reflecting back on what this role is, I've heard you share a couple different statements of what, other than just being a great cook, that being chef means to you. Um, <laughs> you being the, the sushi chef, right, for <laughs> Tokyo 2020, the queen, class yep. mom, spokesperson, ambassador, mentor, swagger, master. But the favorite one that I hear you talk about is being the mascot. So I wonder yeah. if you were to wear a mascot costume.
0: I don't have to wear a mask. Oh, I, got a co- I have a picture of that. I actually have a picture of me wearing a mascot costume oh. in Beijing. It's pretty funny. What
1: mascot would you be if you were the mascot for Tokyo?
0: <laughs> a
2: bottle of Pert Plus. Just kidding.
0: Uh, you know, I do have the floppy hair. I think that's where I've always sort of aligned with mascots. What mascot would I be? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably something on the goofy side. Goofy
2: like your Olympic
0: outfits. And what year was that that 92? you guys looked? Uh, 92, yeah, Barcelona. yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> the, the 92 outfits are, are pretty horrendous. But the, truthfully, so were the Beijing ones. And the Atlanta ones were just really ugly. Oh, no. The athletes now have no idea how lucky they are that HBC like cares yeah. what yeah. they look like I and that actually want like. people to buy the stuff yeah. because if you don't care if people are going to buy it, you don't care what it looks like. Yeah. And we wore a lot of that. Sh- <laughs> the Beijing closing ceremony. They were internationally known as the crazy pants and like nice. even the Croatians and stuff like that were like behind the scenes pictures we took with with those Adam Creek a rower and he's what like six four and like is this huge kind of specimen like a lot of leg yeah and he has one of the buffs and he wears it as a mini skirt and he had fantastic legs he just really pulls (laughs) it off and same with Brent Hayden and there was a little bit of a contest on the you know the craziest way you could wear the crazy buff and you know, with the crazy pants,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing the opening ceremony HBC from the pair Pan Am games and the Pan Am games from 2019. Yeah, I have that so. shirt also. I went yeah. to the
0: Pan Am, so it was a, sort of my integration. The integration, I like shirt. Yeah,
1: I thought that I'd wear gold for Marnie McBean, so yeah, <laughs> just to reflect
0: your favorite color, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> if I if I had had three more moments before I, I came, I, I might have put on a one of my a, a metal l- red. Team. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, I, I have a, the, the Tokyo jean jacket, too. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, classic.
1: I'm hoping to wear that this summer.
3: <laughs> right? We'll see. When we'll it's see. 44 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap it around your waist. <laughs> right.
0: No, you. That's that's not how we're going to be told to wear it, though. Oh, yeah, that's true.
2: You got to follow protocol. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about how you started. So I read that you were an athletic kid, but you were motivated to try rowing after watching a movie and the party of the closing ceremony at the LA yeah. Olympics. <laughs> so yeah. what movie was it? And can you tell us your intro to rowing?
0: Yeah, goodness. There's a lot to unpack there now, <laughs> even in hindsight. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in saying I was an athletic kid is maybe generous. I was an active kid. I wasn't really enrolled in a lot of programs in a competitive setting sense i took swimming lessons like as in get your bronze cross so you can save a life but mm-hmm. i never did swimming to race and mm-hmm. i took gymnastics and i was on my all my school sports they're all pretty terrible so i played a lot of these things i was definitely in a league for t-ball and softball that was very um, important <laughs> <laughs> so i think one of the things i did was i just tried lots of things mm. And then I saw the movie Oxford Blues and it's Rob Lowe rolling around in a pair of jeans, which is like about as ridiculous. Once you start rowing, you're like, you can't row in jeans. <laughs> you can hardly walk in jeans.
2: <laughs> right? Some stretchy jeans. <laughs> Especially
0: in the 80s, they would have been really tight. Yeah. So I saw that. And there was also a, a chocolate bar commercial, uh, Coffee Crisp, mm-hmm. and they they play the Queen song. Another one bites the dust. Like, butter bum dum boom, boom. And it's like another one bites, it's supposed to be another one bites the dust, but they turned it into another one bites the crisp and it's in a rowing boat and they, all the rowers are moving back and forth, passing chocolate bar. So, so there's a- It's really
2: cheesy, but my mouth is
0: watering. Ridiculous (laughs) commercial with a chocolate bar commercial. And honestly, coffee crisp is a nice chocolate bar, but it's not my go-to chocolate bar. So there's this chocolate bar and there's this movie with this guy rowing around in jeans. And I remember coming home for the movie and I was like, God, that sport looked really interesting. Um, how do you do that sport? And my mom gave me the answer that most Canadian parents would, when asked about how to learn to row, like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. And so I just, I looked it up in in the, at the time there was this thing called the phone book (laughs) and, uh, I looked it up in the phone book, which, uh, kids, that means Google. Yeah. What's that mom and dad. Yeah. (laughs) And there was a club not far. And I I actually think I didn't know the name of the club to look it up. Right. And so, you know, phone books don't do that for you. So
2: What did you? I think I had to
0: get on my bike and ride my bike down to the club, look at the name of the club. Nobody was there. But then I came home and I I knew the name of the club was the Argonaut Rowing Club. And so then I called. And now the big joke I have with everyone at Argos was, you know, when somebody answered the phone. Yeah. Because, you know. (laughs) (laughs) the way a lot of sports clubs go now. There's, it's all volunteer based. It's not like someone sits in the office. So someone answered the phone and told me there was a learn to row program coming up. And I was 16. I think when I took learn to row, maybe 17. And there was a session. It was going to be, I think it was from 12 till two. And that worked well for me because I had my swimming. I think I was doing bronze cross from uh, 10 to 11 or something like that, or from nine to 11. So I was like, that's perfect. I'll go swimming and then I'll ride my bike to the rowing club and I'll do that. And again, this is the dumbest thing you can do because when you go rowing, you want to have really tough hands. And the uh, last uh, thing you want to do is be in a pool for two hours. Get baby before hands. Before you go rowing. Ooh. And it just shreds your hands because uh, your, your skin is really soft and all of that. And I loved it anyways. I was oh, wow. just hooked right from the very beginning. And I loved the feel of water and I just loved the sport right away.
2: Awesome. And so when did it turn competitive? <laughs>
0: probably right away. (laughs) The way these learn to row programs do is you do learn to row. And then after that, I think it was like a seven week program or something like that. And then they, I remember they came up to me and they said, okay, so uh, do you want to stick with rowing? And there's a recreational stream and there's a competitive stream. And I was like, I couldn't even think why you would do the recreational stream. (laughs) I was like, of course, competitive. And so then I moved into the competitive program and everyone that I was rowing with was actually, they were just back from university. So they'd all had like been rowing university and they're sort of back, I guess it's June now. So they're like really good and I'm kind of shitty, but in rowing, you have to fill out the numbers. And so they filled out an eight and then they put me into a four to fill out that four. And, uh, you know, my four was pretty scrappy. And of course we thought we were better than everyone in the eight, but, uh, we were pretty determined four. and we went and we found somebody, nobody wanted to coach us really because like there weren't that many coaches around, but we found this one guy, he's like, I'll coach you from my single. So he'd be rowing on his single and we'd be going in the four and he figured that would be a good workout for him. (laughs) And we just started getting better and better. And and sometimes we would do pieces where the eight would break down into two fours and we're actually competitive with them and it turned that we were on this really great uh, learning curve that year. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, we just pulled really, really hard. I know now we were still really bad, (laughs) but we pulled hard and there was actually somebody in the eight her name's Patty Young and she's a journalist. And she came up to me at one point, even when I was still like terrible. And Mm. she's like, you're going to do really well in this sport. Like Mm. you're going to go really far in this sport. And she was just really sincere. And I had this really strong belief about it. And I'm like, get out of here. (laughs) And you know, the season goes on and we had a fabulously fun year of racing. And, and with the eight, it was like, there was all really good women. It was awesome. But I'm going to jump forward to in, in 92 at the Olympics, Patty was writing for a swimming publication and she found me after we'd won our our first two gold medals in the women's pair and the eight. And she's like, do you remember? I'm like, I totally remember. And we're trying to figure out, like, what did you see? Because we've got to go and find everybody who's got that and just bring them along that was a pretty fun summer. She saw your potential. Yeah. And I think what she saw was the natural water feel. Like I still had to yeah. find all the right coaches who were going to sort of capture it. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's just a way that you can do it in a bathtub, you know, when the bathtub's full, you can put your hand in the water and you can just skip by yeah. and no water moves and just make a big splash. Or you can put your hand in the water and you can just pull the water. And all of a sudden the whole water is doing like the, the tubs doing the whirlpool, right? Because yeah. you, you figured out. Mm-hmm how to catch the water that's that's the closest way i can say to describing water feel and then in rowing you have to do that with an oar so you have to be able to you know have your hands on on one end and two to three meters away from you the the blade goes into the water and you have to feel how it's connected and so that as you pull with your hands you're connected with the other end and then like your your body and by connection your boat lifts up and accelerates Mm. so cool. It's going to be the same on the bike, right? Like you can just spin your feet or you could be connected all the way around. Yeah.
1: That's one of the biggest things learning to ride the tandem is that we have to do that in tandem. There's two of us Mm. and Mm. starting a bike on a track from zero and getting out of the gate and getting up to speeds of 60 plus kilometers an hour. Everything has to be in sync when you sit, when you go into tuck and arrow. And so I, I think there's a lot of connection actually at riding a tandem and especially riding a double um, in, in rowing. So,
0: You're, yeah, you just flags went everywhere for me there. I was like, that's totally right. Because if you row a pair in rowing, each person has an oar out one side. So there's a, an oar on the left side and oar on the right side. And so if someone takes the catch, so it's when you first apply power, if they take to the catch yeah. without the other person, the boat will turn. Mm-hmm. So you can tell, right? But in a double, Everybody has, you know, two oars. So if I take the catch first and I I sort of start doing that connection, like I was saying, start lifting, then the the boat goes straight. And then if Kathleen were then to follow, it doesn't work out. Like if I'm really strong at the catch and she's really strong at the finish, it doesn't work out as a net gain. It actually goes really slowly. Mm -hmm. Like, so it, it, I was like, oh, cool. That sounds very, very much like a double.
3: Yeah.
2: So what is communication like? Is it just kind of unspoken and you just follow the lead then as you're going because you can't really talk
0: probably <laughs> no <laughs> words are really you don't important have air right? enough
2: to uh, no make words <laughs> like
0: for you does does somebody talk like strategy is this someone like sort of you know I, I don't mean barking but is someone like barking out a, a code word or every like your race plan mm-hmm. did you have some co- sort of communication in the tandem oh for us
1: oh. Uh, yeah during our recon so during kind of course we'll go over it a bunch of times your courses i think are straight um, but ours we, there's lots of yep. turns so we have to stop pedaling and start pedaling all at the same time and um, so there's a lot more prep ahead of time to know wh- how yep. we're going to do that but in race time it's usually I'm just tucked in deep and I'm listening to the feel of the pedals but there will be maybe the the pilot at the front of the bike will call out sharp turn or if we have to break quickly or something because I can't see anything from right behind him so it's all yeah. it's all quick commands but depends on how much air he has
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Okay. So that's my role. And, and yes, we're going straight. Kathleen is steering because she has an unobstructed view down the lane. Right. So she's behind me. So I don't know if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. but she has an unobstructed, we're going backwards. Mm. So she's in the back of the boat looking from where we've gone. Like she's looking at what we've done and she can see the trail of our boat, like the wake of our boat down the lane And you just make an assessment. Is that straight line going straight down the lane? So that's how she sees if we're going straight. She doesn't turn around to Mm -hmm. see if we're going straight. So she's just has a sense of, you know, we have a buoy on the left and a buoy on the right, and the the stream is going straight down the middle, which is all messed up in a crosswind. And then because I'm speaking to the back of her head, it's easier for her to hear me, right? Because if she talks, it just goes off to to nowhere. Anyways, so yeah, I, I, we have uh, a communication. So we go into the race, it's about a seven minute race plan and we we know we both have like ingrained we know what the race plan is but it's important that we do it on the right stroke or that we're able to respond to things around so through a course of a career you get to a point where single words mean paragraphs if not Mm -hmm. weeks of work yeah right so you know i can say lift and she knows exactly what that means i'm not talking about lift my hands i'm not mm-hmm. talking about lift the blade i'm talking about lift the boat and that was specific to us because another crew might say lift and it's going to mean something different to them so you know sometimes it'll I'll just be saying like five and she knows that's the moment we're going to do a five stroke burst right. um, and then we will have figured out that there's some words that are really hard to say yeah when your heart rate's like at 208 and you know you've got full full <laughs> full oxygen exchange going on right uh, like it's it's not easy to just like start chatting away no kidding. <laughs> but yeah so I I did kind of quarterback us through the race nice. plan and through strategy and tactics so I had a responsibility for if someone was making a move on us or we mm-hmm. needed to make a move on somebody else for initiating that you know and if it were something like a soccer it would be like a set play So we had practiced certain responses to different situations, and it's my job to initiate those. okay
2: interesting I was wondering what the strategy was if there was any because as a viewer and a rowing dum-dum I admit it looks from my perspective it's like you guys just gracefully zoom and it's just like gangbusters the whole way and then and then you're done
0: yeah it's really funny just just last week the Canadian Olympic Committee does these rewinds and um, so they asked me to watch a clip of the 96 final and talk it through and at one point I'm just like kind of silent and staring. And I'm like, I can't believe I was that good. Like, it looks so oh, easy. Like, it's like, yeah. 90, it down, does. Down, you down. guys
2: make it look so easy.
0: <laughs> and you know, that's a result of all the drills mm-hmm. and, and being together, yeah. right? Like it, it's really hard to make it look that good. And the funny thing is if you train really hard, it's easy to pull that hard, but it, yeah. pulling that hard is oh, not easy. No. It does look super simple from the side. Oh. But I remember yeah. once being told there's like 185 things you can do wrong in every stroke. Wow. And the wow. more I rode, I realized, of course, that's not true. There's way more. But, <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> right. But it's, <laughs> yeah, but
0: it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be like, it, I would say in everything, it's the same. I've got a bike trainer in the basement and. It does this little thing that tries, tries to calculate how efficient I am. It's, it's not just spinning your feet. It's like trying to figure out yeah. how to...
1: How smooth are you?
0: Pushing yeah. and pulling yeah. and you know, coming around the turn and nothing that looks easy as as simple as it looks. Yeah. So how many years did you and Kathleen row together? We were rowing together from 89 through 96 with one year off. We started in 90, paired together, but we didn't really establish ourselves. We, we spent most of the season in the pair, but I was being too much of a cow for it to go well. I was nattering too much, and I was disrespecting her talents quite a bit. Kind of passive-aggressively, I guess, not like you suck or anything like that. But I kept trying to make Kathleen competitive and aggressive like me. And all that did was make me frustrated because she just refused. Mm. And it made her frustrated because that's not who she was. Mm -hmm. So we ended up being a good pair that year, but not good enough to be as a pair. So in in 90, we were put into a four. And then in in 91, I kind of, you know, the lights turned on for me. And I realized that Kathleen was this Mm. incredibly competitive and aggressive athlete. She was just quiet about it.
3: Mm. And
0: as you know, a gregarious, outgoing person, it was like the year I learned that you don't have to be gregarious and outgoing to be competitive and aggressive. Mm. And so I just let this incredibly calm and quiet person be competitive and aggressive in her own way. And we went from being a good pair to a great pair. Wow. And that sort of sort of set us on our trajectory. I do like to say she learned a little bit about me that you're also in that the talking, like that I just was telling you how I have to do some talking. In training, there's a lot more talking than in, in a race, mm. right? Because somebody in the boat has to be coming up with a strategy and the operations and the logistics of how a practice is going to go. And, and she learned that all of that role is called bow. All the bows do that. Um, So I wasn't talking just to annoy her, although I had been talking too much. Mm -hmm. So I dialed it down and she realized that all the bows were going to talk to her and that she may have referred to it as a necessary evil to uh, someone chatting to her in the boat.
2: Uh, Our condolences, by the way, we learned that she recently passed away from cancer. So thoughts are with you.
1: you. How has she shaped your life? What did you learn from her through those so many years of racing and the teammate competitor friend.
0: Yeah, try not to start crying here. Um for sure it's that lesson right there, the power of quiet and calm people. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, letting people bring their strengths and focusing on their strengths instead of focusing on what you perceive to be their weaknesses. Yeah. And it's really hard, right? Because we like to look at what we've got. That's why we tend to hang out with people who are kind of more like us is because they're more like us. And and even kids do this at a really young age. Mm. And so we have to teach ourselves to be open to observing people who are not like us. And in doing that, we need to focus on what their strengths are and see them yeah. see them for their strengths mm. and not hold them against what we believe to be our own. So mm. I think with Kathleen, it was a lot about relationships and that relationships, they're not about meeting in the middle, right? Like your, your marriage, 12 years, I think, in your trailer. You say you've been married 12 years, four kids, two kids, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not because you figured out how to give half of yourself and meet in the middle. It's because you respect each other. And in that process, you give a hundred percent of what you've got. And because you respect each other, the other person gives a hundred percent of what they've got. And that makes it really special. Mm -hmm. That was, I think one of the best things I learned from Kathleen. And then I'm also really, I can get too drawn into the details of what other people care about. And Kathleen was very good. She reminded me that I don't get in it for the sponsorship or the accolades or the attention, uh, the headlines. Um, I was rowing at a time when when there was some really amazing things going on in Canadian sport, like and within my own sport, Silk and Laman was this amazing story. It's an incredible athlete. Yeah, there's a lot of times when uh, a story could have been coming to Kathleen and I because we were, you know, winning. <laughs> like everything yeah. but silken had this incredible story of resilience and she was a phenomenal athlete so you know in, in 92 someone like me could easily be like oh you know like how, how come more people are talking about us and she's like what does it matter we've done what we wanted to do and yeah. you know i'm i'm pretty sure silken would rather not have that story and would rather just be winning, also, and and I was like, yeah, that's that's right. Mm-hmm. And then the the next time when we win our third gold the medal, Donovan Bailey wins the hundred that night,
3: wow. uh,
0: and and a bomb went off the, yeah. the night before, and you're just like, mm-hmm. she was, like, she's really good at, at just keeping me so mm-hmm. comfortably. Uh, and of course, I'm aware of these things because I'm talking about them now. Mm-hmm. But Kathleen also, she she's always there. She's still there, re- reminding me. Mm-hmm. Like what what was the goal of the day? Mm -hmm. And that's all that really matters. And the the people who know us, Mm. the people that we care about knew and cared about us.
1: That's beautiful. That's one of the main tasks of grief is to incorporate this person, their essence into how we continue to live our life. And it sounds like she's shaped you in in some great ways in how you view and think and the power of the introvert.
0: Yeah.
2: It sounds like once you guys figured out each other, your differences complemented
0: each other beautifully. I hope so. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I can't, you know, Kathleen was always quiet. I I would always, yeah, for sure. We did.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story, yeah, Kathleen beautiful. and her impact. And we all want to remember a great athlete and a great person. And so, yeah, the, one of the, the beautiful parts of this sport is we get to race alongside incredible people. These experiences, um, you've been to a lot of games. You've, you've had a lot of experiences and many of them included her. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tokyo will be your 10th 10th yes. Olympic games. So that's,
0: wow. It's quite a legacy, quite a legacy. And they're all different, right? They're all super different. It's like you've been to Rio, right? Is that right?
1: No, haven't made it to my first games yet. Was, so just the, the Pan Am games,
3: the Pan Ams. Before okay,
2: Rio, we were cast for amazing race Canada. And so we were gone through the selection races. <laughs> So his training kind of went totally out the window that year. So uh, yeah. let's just let's just wait another 4 years. It was
1: a it was a long shot chance at get my early so it would have not been my actual event. So I was really aiming for Tokyo from the beginning. So this is my big push and the last year's world championships were delayed and canceled. So my qualifying race is May 6th to try to get to Tokyo still. Oh, wow. So still I'm still, wow. I'm still on the journey of trying to chase where, that, and, that dream. And
0: where is your qualifying race?
1: The qualifying World Cup is in Belgium and then the week after in okay. Italy so May 6th Belgium and then May 13th in Italy those are the Yay. next two World Cups. I'm, I'm
0: glad there are some competitions right now that are in Brazil and you don't really want to be yeah I'd rather be asked to go to Belgium right now yeah. in Italy than Absolutely. in
2: uh... how old are your kids Seven and a half and nine. Almost eight, Seven I guess, and a half and nine. nine. Okay.
0: Oh, yeah. Because I was thinking if they were younger, then that would have been another reason if you were like family planning around Rio. You're like, maybe that's the games to miss, you yeah. know, kind of yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. But well, we're really hoping, if not this one, Paris. Our kids are both in French immersion and they're loving that. Yeah, and so is uh, That's why
2: you put your kids in French, eh? So they can translate for you later when you travel the world. <laughs>
0: right.
1: 2024, Paris.
0: Do you speak French as well? Uh, only when I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, oui, oui. <laughs> I always have to be really careful uh, once I was doing an interview in French and the journalist Y demande moi, uh, êtes-vous and it was right in front of the the Olympics and I said ah oh, bien sûr maintenant je suis très fier mais très fort et, uh, et maintenant je suis le champignon de monde and see I, I understood know. that I understood you that speak- carry Did on. you get it I did yeah carry on do you know what I said?
2: yeah well i'm the champion or the winner i'm on top of the world that was
0: the last part anyway. Right. right see yeah. you know as much french as i do because what i actually said was i was the mushroom of the world
2: oh no oh, oh
0: yes, yeah. yeah. i said so, champignon versus champion
2: okay so it's franglais that we're champions of that we're mushrooms right? of
0: right so
1: you are the mushrooms my friend <laughs>
0: It's a classic, classic McBeanism. And I I apply it all the time when I'm talking to because it's important as chef, as Mm. I'm chef to all the Canadian athletes. And I do think it's important. I work on my French and and Mm. I try when I can to communicate in French. And formally, I would say, no, I I don't speak French. But if you sit me down with someone and I can work my way slowly through a conversation.
1: So words have power. And you talked earlier about that in On the Boat, that... What you say with Lyft would mean something maybe different to you than a different team. And even in right learning a different language, the, the words, yep. the sounds we speak have different meaning in different contexts. And so what I'd like to do now is a little segment with you. And this is a throwback to Fred Penner. This is uh, our word bird. <laughs> and we'd like to see how Marnie McBean would respond. So what do these words mean to you? And so, in a sentence or two, just kind of a, a short reflection.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I'm I'm bad at short reflections, but or long, whatever, wh- however you feel led.
1: What does this word mean to
3: you?
0: We'll unpack
2: how you will.
1: They might actually be uh, something to really unpack because I Low's think you're more could... of an unpacker too. I'm so an we unpacker. Get it. <laughs> so, ready for word bird number one, Phoenix. What does the phoenix mean to you?
2: Not
0: Arizona. I know, rising up. <laughs> It's almost a, like a philosophy for athletes. Like you, you, to rise like the Phoenix, you have to first come from the ashes. And in training, we break ourselves down all the time and we're just so full of doubt and how could this possibly happen? But if you have patience, then the magic can happen from that and you will rise up and then become the brilliance of the Phoenix. I suppose you have to then keep going and go that You're going to come down into the ashes again. But I think of it as, as the rising up.
1: Beautiful. Excellence. What does excellence mean?
0: In a few words. Or
1: more. Or as a concept, yeah.
0: It's kind of the pursuit of perfection, but also being wise enough to know that perfection's a myth. So excellence is, it's kind of like 100% of what you have on the day. Mm-hmm. and your excellent on one day is going to be different from an excellent on another day. And that's okay, but it's, it's what you've got and it's striving for perfection. So it's not just like doing your best, but striving for perfection, but it's also, I, I think in the pursuit of excellence, you have to understand that it. Um, it is the, that pursuit of perfection. And, mm. and, and like I said, perfection is a myth. Any, anytime you get anywhere close to what you thought was going to be perfect, you'll realize there's so much more you can do. And, and, you know, I, I, looked into this and even the classic first perfect in sport recorded anyways was Nadia Komenich in gymnastics and when you asked her about her performance on the beam which was supposed to be her most perfect of her perfect tens she was like oh that wasn't perfect when I look at that I see everything that I did wrong and everything I needed to work on but everyone else just saw perfect And mm-hmm. I think that's the the idea of excellence is that you, you're striving for perfect, but you just know it's it's a bit of a myth, you, mm-hmm. as in it's a bit like catching smoke.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we put a lot of time into catching smoke.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it's worth it. Yeah, like, it's worth, it's, it. it's worth the effort. Drives, yeah. You have to let yeah. go of it a little bit. Yeah. If you think you're going to get it, you're going to drive yourself a little cuckoo. Yeah. But it's the process of trying to mm. go cuckoo is the game, isn't mm-hmm.
3: it?
1: <laughs> How about the word more? What does more mean to you?
0: More is really layered for me because it's really deep.
1: Somebody has to book you for the full talk, right? To, to, to yeah, like I,
0: yeah. I, I literally wrote a book about more, right? The power of more. More is all the little bits that there's always something more you can do. And whether it's you're going to learn it or try it or be it or do it, there's always something more that you can do. And even when you think you're completely done, you're like, I can do one step more. Yeah. And so it, it always breaks down into the little things. You know, I could say my favorite flavor is anything that tastes like more. Yeah, You know, it's, <laughs> it's like the, the definition of more is there's more there. I remember once being told by a basketball coach, classic Canadian basketball coach, he's like, you know what I hate? I hate when athletes come off the court and they're like, coach, I'm dying out there. I'm just dying. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> you're not gonna. You will pass out long before you ever die from sport. Yeah. And it's just that sense, like when you're doing a workout and you think you're really done, you you find that there's always this capacity to do something more, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I think more is about all the mm. tiny things that you can do, and it, sometimes it needs to be framed differently because it, sometimes it's not more steps, sometimes it's more learning, and right. sometimes it's more trying or more listening or yeah. There is just always a capacity for a little bit more.
3: Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the words I heard you reflect on, and I won't ask you to define it necessarily, but this idea of your last race when you said outlast, that we're going to outlast the competition. It's a pretty powerful word too.
0: I think part of being a champion is teaching yourself to have some sort of telepathy into the mind of your competitors. And Mm -hmm. everybody wants to quit. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Everybody, there's, <laughs> there's nobody out there who isn't going through anything. That's going through your head is going through your competitor's head also. Mm-hmm. And so you you get to a point where you're like, this is hard. Well. We know from physiology that everybody's body goes through the same like little changes from your ATP system into your anaerobic system, like your aerobic system kicks in and we know how the lactic acid accumulates in the mitochondria and starts shutting things down and your brain reflects on that, right? So whatever is going on in in your head is absolutely going on in everyone else's head. And so if you get to a point in your race where you think, I just want to like take my foot off the, Mm the and like slow down on the throttle and you know, you're like, huh, everybody else is thinking this also. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just need to be the person who does it last. Mm. Right. You can quit. You can like, you can quit. You just have to quit last. <laughs> so you just have to outlast everybody else. And so when you're feeling really the, the pain of it all of competition or training, mm-hmm. you just know that everyone else is feeling that. And so if you can just outlast them a little bit, you win. And mm-hmm. it's super simple that way. You're right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm allowed to give up. You're allowed yeah. to quit. You just have to do it last.
1: It's the power of <laughs> the mental state. And really, I think those words inside of cycling, like, we often say, like, shut up legs. There's something you say inside yourself. Really. But uh, like, I'd rather feel pain than nothing, whatever it is in that moment. But. One yeah. of the ways that I think this too is I I can experience, I can handle more pain than my competitors. So I'm like, I'll, I'm going to, like, I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that from Marnie McBean, the last yeah. Because
0: It's, it's just yeah. like, you know, press the intercom into everyone else's head going, oh yeah, they're quite, at nine out of 10 also. Yeah. And then you just have this, uh, it's probably a really old reference. You just have a spinal tap moment and you're yeah. like, your amp's going to go to 11. <laughs>
3: yeah. So
0: when you get to 10 out of 10, you know what? I'm going to go to 11 out of 10 because yeah. mm-hmm. That's, that's also back to more, right? Because when you get to 10 out of 10 for your capacity, you realize that, you know, unless you've passed out, you're not dead. One more stroke,
1: one more pedal, one more step. Yep. Just one more. And
0: that's, and that's what you focus on, right? We'd be the same for pedal strokes and stuff like that. I'm like the number of times you get to an end of the race and you're like, well, I can't keep going, but you know what? (sighs) Yeah. I'll just do 10 more strokes and then Mm. I'm going to give up. And then you do those 10 strokes and Mm -hmm. you're like, well, I'm not quite there, but I'm yeah. almost there. So 10 more strokes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe it's three more strokes. Yeah. And, you know, before Chunk. you know it, you, if you're lucky, your brain has moved on to some other technical thing. Yeah. And you've forgotten the fact that you're counting down to when you're about to quit.
1: Chunk it down. Awesome. Another word authenticity.
0: That's kind of easy. That's about being yourself in as many environments as possible, if not mm-hmm. all environments. And to be authentic, you have to realize who you are so you have Mm. to know who you are to reveal and and be authentic but whether you are authentically confident Mm -hmm. or authentically gay or you know authentically nervous let yourself be those things authentically curious great words sometimes i think the best thing i can be is authentically curious yeah and Mm. ask questions and and i will ask questions that a lot of people won't Mm -hmm. Because I'm not afraid to reveal that and and being authentically curious, if you're doing it right, if I'm doing it right, it's revealing that I genuinely and almost excitedly don't know, like I don't know the answer, right? So I'm really curious about Mm -hmm. you or... How that works, Mm -hmm. or I could sit there and if we're having a beer, I'm like, no, I I really want to know how you see, right? Like, what is it that you see, and and what can you see more of than people know, and what can you see less of than people know, and dive in, kind of thing.
1: Well, we look forward to having that that beer, that coffee one day, and actually Uh. having that conversation. (laughs) That'd be lovely. Well, we
0: can twist it around. One day we'll do the podcast, and I get to ask ask questions.
1: Do you feel like this has been a journey to find the authentic self?
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's a pendulum. Sometimes you're in positions where you feel more empowered to reveal your authentic self and Mm -hmm. ask questions. And sometimes you think it's more problematic to do that. And maybe some of that comes with how confidence comes and goes with Mm -hmm. different things. And, you know, it's going to be for parenting, I would say for two and a half years, you don't get any confidence from parenting, right? D- like,
2: it's humbling,
3: yes. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I remember thinking I was doing a great job with Isabel and and empowering her and and what I wanted her to be growing up like from an infant. I was like, I want you to be curious and mm. kind and all these kind of things and active and all these sort of things. And I remember thinking I was doing a great job, but I was getting nothing from it.
3: <laughs> In that sense yeah. that
0: there's no pat you on the back for being a great parent because it's really just it's what you're supposed to do yeah yeah like suck it up and do it because that's what everybody does they do their best to be as good a parent as they can be but it doesn't feed any confidence little buckets yeah yeah and so then i had to wait until she was old enough so that i could get some of my confidence buckets filled yeah yeah. um, outside of the the parenting sphere but I wasn't outside of the parenting sphere for a while. And so that pendulum swings around. And then now I I kind of feel like my brain is getting bigger again. And as my brain gets bigger, that allows my curiosity to be bigger. And then when I get into situations where I'm informed a little bit, that I can use that as a springboard to be more curious. Mm
1: -hmm. And One of the things in being authentic, it often is connected to how safe we feel. Is the environment, is the system, is the, is a space, a safe space. Yeah. Because vulnerability with safe people leads to connection and depth and growth. But vulnerability with unsafe people leads to hurt and pain and damage and abuse. And so really this trying to be an authentic self in an unsafe space is hard. And we provide ourselves with a lot of protection through our lives to do that. So I think what you're trying to do is also provide safe spaces for athletes to come through. And you're trying to provide a safe space for your kids.
2: And that leads kind of nicely to another topic. Lola and I consider ourselves allies of the LGBTQ community and we were hoping that yes we were
0: hoping that you would share your coming out story with us
1: if you feel comfortable but you don't have to yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. well you never come out once mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're coming out your whole life a little bit and- you don't have a, a visible disability or a disability of visibility, right? Um, yeah. But it's like you probably have to tell people all the time, right? Yeah.
2: Or he leaves it to me um, to tell them,
0: yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> or, or I could be doing the same thing by standing with my wife and saying, this is my wife. So there I've just come out in the process of saying, this is my wife. I have to unpack it. Every time I say that, I'm unpacking it, right? Every time I say uh, my wife, I'm coming out to somebody. I came out quite late after I was an athlete, I wasn't struggling. I, I didn't feel like I was in the closet as an athlete. I was dating men at the time because I just kind of hadn't taken any time. I, I think what I did quite happily, I didn't feel complicated or anything like that. But as an athlete, I focused on sport and I just really dove into it. And I've talked to a lot of my teammates about this. And sometimes I think if we were just ignoring our outside lives and there's an element that maybe we were, But we were just super happy and content and focusing on just the sport and what we were doing and how we worked together as as a community of rowers. We all went out and and I just, I never took much time to figure out who I really was away from rowing. And then after Sydney, I had a back injury and I had to go through all the rehab of uh, recovering from that. And I remember getting a job and being in a work environment and just the way this one woman would look at me, I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) what's going on there and so the first person I had to come out to really was myself Hmm. so then I I sort of was like okay I'm having this physical reaction and maybe I'm gay and you know everyone talked about maybe it's a phase maybe it's just a fun thing to do for a little while (laughs) but I ended up being in a relationship with this woman and I was like well if this lasts for a year you know and, and for her it it was her first relationship with a woman also. Mm. And we're like, well, if, if we're still doing this in a year, it's it's not a phase. And mm. uh, well, it wasn't. But I hadn't come out at that point in time, because we were both trying to figure out what we were doing. Mm. Then I, I went through a couple of relationships. And then with one relationship, I was traveling quite a bit. And I just was like, if something happens to me, nobody knows where I am, or why I am there. So I, I came out to my mom and for me, it was there was no big like coming out thing. The first th- person I had to come out to, like I said, was myself, and then there was this slow reveal. And I came out to my my mom because I was seeing this one person I was traveling a lot with, and then that relationship ended. And and as you feel at the end of a relationship, I was kind of brokenhearted,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I couldn't share it with anyone. And I was like, oh. right, I'm not doing that again. So mm-hmm. I was like. Right. I'm I'm coming out and I went to some friends and I started, you know, dating online, which was, I felt complicated because I wasn't just another person going online. I was somebody everyone's going to go, oh, look at that. Who's that person? Mm. And, but I just kind of was like, right, let's just start rolling into it.
1: So the question is do you wear all like 15 gold medals in your dating app a dating profile oh, no, picture it was so
0: hilarious I was like wearing like big sunglasses and then every time I would go out on a, a date with someone they're like they totally knew who I was and I thought I was being so discreet, incognito right? so yeah it was just it got to a point where I was just like I don't want to have to hide big mm-hmm. emotions anymore yeah. and so I just kind of slowly worked my way into the light a little bit if that's kind of a funny way to describe it but that's probably accurate I like it And I recognize that I had everything going for me to make that easy. I was financially independent. I'd already told my parents, but I didn't need their approval. I wasn't going through any form of selection or anything that was complicated in sport, although I don't think it would have been a problem. But yeah, so I, as an adult, it was a really easy coming out story and, and I am just blessed on the backs of everyone else who's done all the hard work. I've, I've never heard a single derogatory word. Mm. Well, awesome. hopefully we
1: can continue to make sport safe yeah. and yeah. keep working towards that safe sport connection and a place that that other people's stories can be as smooth and, and authentic or lead to their authentic yeah. selves as well.
2: I also, I read a story about how you got married
0: and how that yeah. ended
2: up being a, a bit of a surprise for your wife on the day of,
0: right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> well, just to... to it is, is understating a point when you say it was a bit of surprise. <laughs> Dina is my wife and uh, we had been engaged. I, I guess we'd been engaged for a year and a half and we'd all like got to a point where we were talking. We had talked a lot about what we wanted from a, a wedding and where we wanted, where in like, do we want it in Toronto where we live? Do we want it in Quebec where she has family? Do we want out in Whistler that's important to us? Do we want to go away somewhere who would come so we, we talked a lot about it and we kept talking now we've been engaged for two years and two mm. and a half years and we talked we talked all the time. And then she would get really frustrated like this engagement's been way too long and we should just go down to city hall and let's just go to city hall and get it done and I'm like no 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 I want to have a party with some of our friends and it doesn't have to be big but she's always let's just go to city hall and do it and I'm like no 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 let's have a little party so she kind of kept pushing it in the sense of just going to city hall would be fine right like we were both very much on the same page about wanting to get married and so <laughs> I was like you know what all I do with the olympic team is plan for big events And one of the things I do as a mentor with the Olympic team is help athletes manage friends and family, Mm -hmm. because usually friends and family are right up with media as the two most distracting things um, around these, these huge events. So I'm like, I can do this. And then mm-hmm. I have a very good friend who's an extraordinary wedding photographer. Like she travels around the world. Oh wow! Uh, she gets sent everywhere. And I'm like, Catherine, can I meet with you? And I was like, this is what I wanna do. And, and she was like, a surprise wedding, it'd be awesome. And I just like talked through all these different things. She's like, you know what? I, I went to a brunch wedding and it was awesome. And, and I went to a wedding and this band was awesome. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so then I was like, I called Dina's parents and I said, this is what I'd like to do. We were having a tough time coming up with a final decision between the two of us because we're both kind of A-type planning, logistic women in the same relationship. And in, in a relationship like this, there's never a yes, dear. Like there's never a like, what color do you want on the wall? whatever you want, dear, that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah. in our relationship. Did she give like, you a little bit we, of
2: freedom though? Because she set the bar really low with city hall. So did that give you some freedom to be like,
0: okay, well, now just, that was, that was the, just the legal part of it. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I got the sense that she was like good for us getting married. And mm-hmm. I really believe that the most important day in any marriage isn't the wedding. Mm-hmm. It's the day that one person asked and meant it. Mm. and the other person answered and meant it mm-hmm. and so we we'd been through that i'd asked and i meant it and she'd answered and she'd meant it so I, I knew we were good to go from there anyways so i was just like i'm i'm gonna do all this i'm gonna plan it all and so i was like well okay one day i sat down with her and i was like okay if um if we we're gonna have a wedding we need to know what kind what size room we need so let's go through a guest list and so we came up with our guest list and we knew it was going to be about 75 people. Okay. So I know how many people, sneaky. Wow. and I knew she loved white tulips and I knew she loved a room that was like wooden beam, mm. like stone and beam kind of stuff. And right. So I went from there, I asked her parents, I said, this is what I want to do. And, if you're in it, she'll be in it. If you're okay with this, she'll be okay with this. And they said, yeah. So then I just went on and I, I made all the plans and I was in the process of prepping the team for Sochi. And I did a lot of my final planning actually in Sochi. And oh. I even, um, Tessa and Scott, they're two fabulous athletes I've worked with a lot. And I'm like, I need you to write me a letter inviting us to an event. And so <laughs> uh, Tess, Tessa okay. sent me an email and and it was like inviting us because they had been doing um, a reality show that year. And um, it was going to be a, the rap party for their reality show. And, and that worked because the figure skaters, they have like beautiful clothes and they always dress up nicely. And I said, well, like, hello, magazine was going to be there and it was going to have like <laughs> champagne sponsorship. So we're going to have to really dress up. Oh, sneaky. So that was how we dressed up for a, a brunch. And I suppose I've sort of told the story a bit funny, but I had invited 75 of our friends and I had terrified them to like break the secret. And so I would call them every now and then I would send out emails and I had captains. So this group would all like talk to this one person and this group would all talk to this one person. And, and uh, you know, the third group would talk to that person. And, and so I didn't have 75 emails coming to me all the time, but every now and then I'm like, she still has no idea don't test it. So for three weeks before our wedding, we didn't have a single friend call us. And Dina was like, we suck. Like, <laughs> no, no, we, we have to have. So she started organizing a dinner party the week before our wedding. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. Like, yeah. And so with those people, I'm like, she doesn't know, like, just don't let the secret Zip it. Yeah. But so finally, it was on, uh, I guess it was April 6th, The the limo that Tessa and Scott sent us, Mm. They were in Japan, by the way, uh, at a competition, but the limo that Tessa and Scott sent us uh, picked us up and and took us down. And Mm. I practically shoved her into this restaurant and 75 people that we know were all standing there. And she walked in. And first of all, she's like looking around on kind of like looking for Tessa (laughs) and Scott and, (laughs) and all the other figure skaters. And the first person she sees is a friend of hers from Kingston who works as a corrections officer and she's like, what? how does that person know <laughs> Tessa and Scott? Like, that's a little weird. And then she realized she knew everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, she looked over at me and she's like, what have you done? Uh. And I was like, will you marry me now? And,
2: uh, beautiful. It gives me chills and tears at the same time. Oh Shivers and tears. Yeah, we both cried on yeah, this call. There we go. That's it's great. Beautiful.
1: What is the biggest lesson you've learned from her in your life? From Dina? Yeah, from Dina. Not Tessa. Dina. Yeah, Tessa. sorry. yeah. So, <laughs>
0: Dina doesn't just let something be because you want it to be. You you have to really dive deeper and explore an emotion, a situation. You have to see the the depth of it, where it came from, and 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 how it's going to impact and be received by others also. And that can be anything from like how we feel about each other. It's never just superficial. Mm-hmm but you have to explore all around an idea, like kind of just to sort of to test it. It's almost like, um, I don't know why I'm thinking this right now, but it, it's almost like a science experiment. Like you have to be able to prove it in many different ways for it to be real. Mm-hmm. For an example, talking about my book, I wanted my book to be like the power of more. And you know, this is what I thought more meant. it was a, actually, she was called the, the jammed cat theory of performance at the time. And this, I'm like, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. And she would come at it from a different angle and kind of poke a little hole in it. It. And mm-hmm. I was just like, you can't do that. And she's like, of course you can. <laughs> like, that's that's, that's mm-hmm. how thinking something through works, right? Like, does it work yeah. in all situations? Because it, does it apply always?
1: We want to filter it, yeah, our confirmation bias, and just say, yeah, this
0: my idea works
1: because I can prove it.
0: Yeah. And I remember we were driving towards Kingston and I almost wanted to pull a car over and kick her out because she was taking (laughs) something that, you know, I I hadn't thought through completely. And, and so then, you know, I calmed down and we spoke it through and I was able to, I was able to eventually defend what was kind of the thesis of my book, but she made me think it through so I could defend it from more than just my perspective. Mm -hmm. And we do that um, on a lot of things, which is challenging and exhausting, but it makes this incredible depth to everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. things don't work one dimensionally Mm -hmm. or two dimensionally here they have to work in three and four dimensions yeah
1: this podcast is called obstacles and opportunities and really it's it's part of my story of having this obstacle of going blind and, and struggling in life and then seeing all the opportunities that have come from that right even this conversation with martin babine is because of the obstacles in my life and i'm just wondering for you how do you reflect back on seeing your obstacles in life and how they've turned into opportunities.
0: I guess I'm lucky that half the time I don't, I'm not aware of my obstacles because I've just kind of gone somewhat naively running around them. And I think when I was younger, that was definitely the key. Uh, Like there was things in my way that I didn't even know I was surfing my way around a little bit. And then, you know, I get to a point where I'm talking about the Canadian sports system and I'm like, well, it actually didn't help me that much. (laughs) Like there is is a lot to do with how I made the national team. That was because I was just too naive to know that the system wasn't helping me. And for sure, you know, I've read other things to realize how much people in the 60s and 70s did to make it easier for me, right? I think I'm aware of my obstacles, but I don't focus on them too much because I don't find it particularly productive. Just today, I sent out a message to the Olympic team, the whole mission team that's going to Tokyo about the difference between sacrifices and choices. For decades, we make these choices, and they're choices away from school and away from careers and away from our personal lives. We have to live in different places and train in different places, o- away from different things. And and athletes make these choices all the time, and they see them as choices, and we see what we get out of them, and they, they lead us into this incredible. Life and lifestyle, and, and the people around us believe in excellence, like we talked about earlier, and that doesn't exist for everybody else. But other people see these choices that we're making as sacrifices, and they see what we're losing out of it. They see that we're losing these opportunities, and 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 that's what a sacrifice is: is you you make a choice that comes up at a loss. And I suppose the way I just choose to see things, or I'm wired to see things, is that I've gotten to everywhere based on a choice. You know, in the whole concept of obstacles and opportunities, sometimes it's not obstacles and opportunities to me, it's obstacles or opportunities. And I choose to see, there's always an opportunity. There's always something. And when I talk about the, the, my book being the power of more, what I really wanted it to be called was the jammed cat theory of performance. And, and that involves a cat spinning. And if you drop a cat, it's always going to land on its feet. Since I was a kid, I kind of always felt that way. Like somehow I, I've always landed on my feet. Hmm. I don't know how, I don't know why, but things have always, you know, horseshoes up my butt, I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the idea of the jammed cat is that, you know, if you have a piece of toast and you drop it, it almost always lands jam side down. So if you put jam on the back of a cat, is it gonna land on the jam or is it gonna land on Ah. its feet? But, or is it just this perpetual motion? And I think that's what ambition is, right? It ties in many things of the things we've just talked about. Like perfection is a myth, right? Like as soon as you have perfection, you realize it's not. Mm It just keeps spinning. You're about to land on your feet with perfection, but the jam is like, nope, not so so lucky. Or you have more vision on it. But so the whole idea is, I think you just kind of keep spinning through everything. Every time you you see an obstacle on it, I just, it's going to flip onto its feet. And then if it's an opportunity, it's going to become an obstacle, right? Like, and it's just going to keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And I just believe it's going to always mostly come feet side down. And, you know, one day you, you kind of take the jam off of it and you take your ambition off of it. And you're like, I'm good with this. This, Mm -hmm. this task is done. It settles that cat lands and you go and you jam your next cat. And you kind of move on. So I learned a lot reading a book called Heroes in Our Midst. And it was, gosh, what was her name? She's one of our Paralympic basketball players. And she wrote about what an incredible life the injury that led her to be a Paralympian had led her to have. Mm-hmm. And so she took that obstacle and just really felt blessed for the opportunity that it ended up providing her. It comes down to perspective on those obstacles and opportunities. And do you want to see them as choices or do you want to see them as sacrifices?
2: Lola, is it too late to rename our podcast "Obstacles or Opportunities"? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's all. But they they, they do coexist, yeah. right? Like Absolutely. they're both there. That's like you can't say one is without the other. And it's all about you can't not have them, right? It's like yeah. that whole thing <laughs> that fear <laughs> and doubt that I started off way at the beginning like it's it's just you just turn the volume down on one and turn the volume up on the other lovely thank you
2: yeah thanks for all your pearls of wisdom and your stories your experience it's Mm -hmm. we feel very lucky that you hopped on this call with us do you have anything you'd like to promote
0: oh no just i was gonna say i i feel badly i would like to have heard more answers from you like i would like to have asked more questions so
1: well if it feels lopsided i am a psychologist so i'm usually (laughs) I'm, i'm on the side of like yeah let's talk about you not about me but i'm realizing that's not what this is i don't know about your time we have a couple more minutes is there something you would like to ask or
0: no i did i well i did ask you a question a while ago about how you see
1: and i quickly um skirted that no uh,
0: <laughs> yeah you so- made me tell my coming out story but you told <laughs> me nothing about i know i
1: mean this is the, so it's it's our turn to be vulnerable sight is this interesting piece they do say when you lose one scent you often gain another and i think that i've really gained the sense of humor through all of this
3: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: That's a joke. Better it. gets
0: it has it been a lifelong thing like yeah, how old were yeah. you or?
1: So I have retinitis pigmentosa and it's a degenerative eye condition. And so genetic. it's genetic. My grandfather had it, my mom has it, my brother and I have it. And so my grandpa went blind when he was 40, or fully blind when he was 40 and I'm going to be 40 this fall. So it's uh it's a pretty crucial time the vision it just slowly degenerates it's a perpetual grief a perpetual loss so ever since i was a baby i wasn't able to see in the dark and i've just slowly been losing my vision and now it's just down to a small a small 10 okay. degree center
2: so if he was talking to you face to face from a normal distance then he would only be able to see one eyeball okay so tunnel yeah. vision so i'll so, move around yeah don't no don't yeah. move around too
1: quickly i won't see you <laughs> <laughs> where'd she go yeah Sorry. she's gone yeah so yeah it's the the small tunnel in the center with no night vision in there so sports has been really difficult my entire life i never had a sport that i could do i so it moved me into individual sport i could run for a while i could bike until that became too dangerous and i yeah. could swim but then i switched over into cycling and that I found that I have some pretty good strength. I have some pretty power. good power. And so that has opened up this new door and a place that I can belong and feel alive and, and push myself to, man, these incredible speeds and incredible competitions.
2: And you guys talked earlier about how you can handle a little bit of pain, so you keep pushing it. And Lowell's legs, when was that, in 2002 or 2000, Yeah, 2002-ish, both of his legs went partway through a silage beggar A farm machine, machine yeah. So he knows pain. Wow. <laughs> Cycling at high levels is,
0: is small fries for these legs. Yeah, they've they've been through the <laughs> been grinder. Been, yeah, yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> and then your pilot, uh, how does that relationship work?
1: Man, it's got to be a lot like a double. Uh, it's this idea where if the team is off, the bike doesn't go very fast. We have to work in sync. Our, we're literally tied together with a timing chain. And so... It's the relationship on and off the bike is really important, and I've wait, had
0: wait wait like a timing chain like your left foot's tied to his left foot kind of thing. Correct.
1: Yep. Our left cranks have a chain connecting them from the front of the bike. He has a set of cranks, and yep. he only has a chain on the left of his. That chain is then connected to my left pedal, <sighs> and the right pedal for mine is connected to the to the back wheel. So his. So power... there, there's
0: only one drive chain on the bike.
1: There's one drive chain and one timing oh. chain that connects us
0: would that be like their paddles being connected I can't even imagine it would be yeah something yeah and Sorry. it's an ore but, um... oh, or
2: sort GC, I told you I was a <laughs> rowing dum-dum. The vocabulary is uh, enough to blow my mind. <laughs> no, that's,
0: in, in canoe kayaking, it's a paddle, and, and in rowing, it's an oar, okay. and we're like- no, I learned uh, something. Like, rowers don't paddle. And so have you had different pilots, or have you had a relationship with this one pilot, and is that like an arranged marriage, or did you like, pick Marty, each other?
2: This is kind of behind the scenes that people don't get to see, but tandem piloting is kind of like The Bachelor, like The Bachelor tandem yeah. edition.
1: So I'll kind of tell you my pilot story quickly. It's an interesting one. I f- first had a local triathlete. He came and approached me and said, "Hey, let's let's try this." And we got into it and it had some pretty good success in triathlon. But then in shout out to Warren, shout out to Warren Molnar, <laughs> in Rio Paralympics they didn't have men's para triathlon it wasn't one of the events. And so I had to switch and I was going to try to switch over just to pure cycling.
2: Also, Warren had six kids. so
1: And, and Warren was a little bit busy to take <laughs> me all the way. Yeah. So then I got connected with uh, another pilot who was a junior national champ there. So Mark McDonald joined that. And then yeah. he was track and then I needed a road pilot. So then I switched over and we sent out an email to the top racers in Alberta and and one of these guys, Andrew Davidson responded and, and we kind of took to the next level and got selected on the next gen team. We went to the Parapan Am Games, but we kind of hit our peak together and we are not a very good match. He's quite small and an amazing climber and I'm very large and a really yep. good sprinter. And so it's Instead not complementing
2: complimenting a... each other. They kind of brought each other yeah, down yeah. in both of those areas. Yeah.
1: So we weren't yeah. a climbing team and we weren't a sprinting team. And so it actually neutralized our strengths. We were good, but we couldn't be the, the top. And so then we switched over and I found somebody who was, he was a Canadian racer and he was on the track pursuit team. And he also piloted a bike back in the day. I forget which Guadalajara was his first um, okay. Pan Am Games. So 2013. He, 2013. Like yeah. So that was kind of his first foray into this. So I, I sent him an email randomly because I, I, I knew he had been involved and he was a big guy like me and, and power. Cold emailed him just and like just,
2: we cold emailed you.
1: Just this random <laughs> yeah. email. Hey, here I am. I'm looking for a pilot and it became kind of this back and forth. And then there were a few other pilots that were looking to go with, with me. So I tested, we went and did a bunch of trials on the track to try to see if we could make our A standard to get selection. And Ed's like, oh, this, his name's Ed Veal, the real deal, Ed Veal. Oh,
2: Ed, you know Ed. Ed Ed (laughs) is
1: now my new pilot. But what happened is he was going off to do this world record 24 hour Zwift attempt. Ram, right? he did. did he do Ram? He didn't do Ram. He did a online um, Zwift world record. Okay. He was in Las Vegas. And I sent him a rose into his room. I had the, the hotel. Oh my God, it is Staff. the bachelor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had the, the hotel concierge go into his room and put the single rose, red rose there and said, I choose you. <laughs> and he came oh in gosh. after competing this world record and he sees this and he breaks down and he, he calls and crying. we had this moment. And yeah, so, so it sweet. was definitely like the, the bachelor start. It's pretty cool. Wow, and, that's awesome. And so far we, every time we're on the bike, I mean, we set national records, we destroy things and Do you we you know how fast write. they've
2: gone on that bike together? No. One hundred and three point seven kilometers per hour. Holy crap! That's it, right, Lowell? That was it. One hundred three point seven. Yeah, I mean, not just going flat. Like they did, <laughs> they did like, everything they could to yeah. gain that
0: momentum. Going flat. Like, what does that feel like when you can't see it? Like I've done seventy going down a hill in, in Tuscany, and you're just like, please, no flats. Like oh, you yeah. know, and, and you just don't uh, think
1: of a flats at that speed. You just <laughs> you just enjoy the moment. You enjoy what it's like to fly. Right, the the of yeah. phoenix.
2: Yeah. Lowell and I, I've piloted him a bunch as well, but I'm not nearly as confident or. I can competent. see you
0: totally cutting the wind, right? you you definitely, definitely that the bulk of those shoulders must really give a nice slipstream for Joel to slide in there. The
2: first time that we ever rode tandem together, he was literally twice my weight. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> Anyways, we did a charity. R- hard for you. Huh? <laughs> I know it, it's fine for him. We did a charity ride that was a, a few hundred kilometers right. long and on this, we're like flying down the side of the highway and we were approaching, uh, going kind of over a bridge with a guardrail and it was like a rocky edge. So, and I'm not super confident holding that thing up straight, especially since the weight and balance is so off. Yeah. So I yelled. And again, as you know, when you yell from the front, it kind of gets lost and he doesn't necessarily Nothing. hear, but I was like, focus. And he thought I said coast and he <laughs> stopped. And
1: coast means you stop pedaling and you just kind to ride. Yeah. And so I stopped pedaling and she was meaning focus. I and just
2: about flew right over the handlebars. Like I, I, it was so scary. It was the exact wrong thing to do in that moment. And it was yeah. the communication gone way wrong. And Thankfully, we stuck it out and we, we have lived to tell the tale. But oh man, so yeah. scary. Now we know. Yes, now exactly. Know. Don't use the word Learning coast and focus. Day. They're too similar when I'm yelling from the front of the bike.
0: That's funny. The worst that would happen to us is if I did something and um, and I did this. I, I, I'd flipped the boat once that Kathleen wasn't an, an, anticipating. And well, I did something and the boat flipped and she wasn't really thrilled with me that day. <laughs> yeah. How often do you flip? We're, we're not... Not very often. Okay, I was gonna all, say I would. Right, and you lose everything—like your shoes, if your shirt, your like possibly your sunglasses. It's gone. Oh no! And that wasn't a good day.
2: No, my goodness.
1: Oh, this has been incredible. Thank you, Marnie, so much. We're gonna be following the team as you head off to Tokyo. The countdown yeah. is on. So. Same. Um, good luck with let's everything. Let's get there. Let's get yeah. there. Yeah. Let's get there and do some amazing sports. No screaming and just only clapping. Um, <laughs>
0: right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Lots of clapping.
2: I, I think I've been uninvited for that reason.
0: <laughs> no, you. You, you should be uninvited. Know. I'm in the process of asking everyone to uninvite friends and family. If yeah. a hug there will disqualify. I was looking forward to taking um, Izzy mm. and Dina. They were going to come, but they're not coming anymore.
2: If it was going to go on in 2020, my cousin, she's totally bilingual and she was, she was going to come with us. She was going to be all had yeah. and i was so psyched
0: so that's a bummer that would be great So oh, well yeah. we Anyways, pivot things change um, best of luck with your qualifier coming up in may like that's i'm sure that's do or die we'll know in may
1: ed veal and i are gonna yep. are gonna just rip it it's exciting we got a brand new bike and we are we're ready to to show the world something exceptional so we're hey lol tell that we're gonna keep tell marnie real quick excellence.
2: what what kind of wattage you get to on the bike your power i am very proud that i can hold 450 watts for like 10 seconds now you go (laughs) lol that's like his warm-up seriously okay yeah (laughs) i
1: I think i've done five seconds at 1600 watts
2: isn't that insane so I'm getting there. <laughs> Just
0: kidding. Right. right. <laughs> well, I actually think wasn't the Zwift record recently broken by a rower, a German rower yes, or something. Yeah. Oh, like that? and what was that? There you go. What was the record? Well, the, the so I, was, did... I think he held four hundred watts for an hour or something oh, like that. Geez. Or four fifty oh, for an hour. No, Ten yeah. seconds is yeah, good for that. The
1: rowers, it's that big capacity. That's if I were to do another sport, I'd like to do rowing.
0: Yeah, para rowing's it's pretty fun too.
1: Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much for so your much. for your time, your authenticity and for being a mentor and leading our team to Tokyo.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the chat. You're
1: welcome. Take care.
2: Awesome. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.
1: Marnie McBean.
2: Oh, man. Marnie.
1: Oh, uh, champion.
2: Lol, I can't believe the rookie mistake I made with the, uh, the French mushrooms there.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I, because when I was in high school, I loved... French. I remember in grade 10, my French teacher was so amazing. And I remember translating my thoughts into French. In grade 12, we went on a French exchange and we made videos to give to the other students. So to give to our host families, to kind of introduce ourselves. And we made them in French. And the main point of mine was, je déteste les champignons. That was a terrible accent the way I said it, but lol, that means I hate mushrooms. That was the one thing they knew about me going in. So the fact that that was the one word that Marnie messed up on in that is funny that I did not catch that. But I was so focused on like, okay, put together what the other words mean. Definitely a rookie mistake. You got me there, Marnie.
1: (laughs) She has achieved excellence and she is now using her voice and her experience to mentor and coach so many other athletes. So new athletes who are just coming to have their first games experience to those who have been there multiple times and are dealing with the pressure of repeat performances. She is an incredible choice for Chef and we're really blessed to have her.
2: Mm -hmm. Her experience is super valuable, I feel, for not only athletes, but also the LGBTQ community. I think she has a really powerful voice and they're lucky to have her.
1: Yeah, it's really great to keep making our sports more inclusive, mm-hmm. more safe, and a place that we can all perform and compete together in, in a very caring way.
2: Yeah, so awesome to connect with Marnie. And if you want more of Marnie, her website is marniemcbean.ca. You can also contact her for speaking gigs through her website. On Twitter, she's McB. And Instagram, MarnieMC2.
1: Thanks again, Marnie, for chatting with us. And until next time, take care, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye. Leading to Tokyo 2021, this podcast will be focusing on stories of elite athletes. If you or someone you know has overcome obstacles on your quest for world-class competition and you'd like to be on our show, please find us at obstaclesandopportunities.com and reach out. Our podcast social media handles are at ObsobsPod. That is... OBS OPS POD. And our personal handles are at Julie Lowell Can, J U L I E L O W E L L C A N. Thanks for listening.
1: Catch you next
3: time.
2: Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>